welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 34, Gifts of the Spirit. I want to start out this week just by reminding you that one good missionary-minded thing that you can do this week is if this podcast, if this episode touches you and improves your week, share it. Share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with the the people that you minister to. Obviously, that this podcast in particular is geared toward people who are already members of the church, but you know what? I think if if you feel like this episode speaks to people who aren't, share it with them too. It's all a part of gathering Israel, whether we're gathering our already current members closer to the Lord or we're gathering people outside of the church. It's all a part of the work. So that is my my plug in the beginning. All right, so this week we are talking about Doctrine and Covenants section 46 through 48. This week is an interesting one to think about. So the last few weeks we've been talking a lot about these new Ohio saints and the problems arising because of lack of guidance because those missionaries came and then and con- and they were all converted but then the missionaries left and the prophet isn't there yet. And this all happened right after kind of a an, a movement called the Second Great Awakening was kind of starting to fizzle out a little bit. Um, but the Second Great Awakening started as early as 1790. Um, people had become dissatisfied with the rationalism and the skepticism that had been making its way into religion. And many people wanted to return to a more New Testament style of religion, a religion that provided miracles and gifts of the Spirit and all the things we read about in the New Testament. And this surge of religious zeal sparked a huge increase in conversions to Christianity and the founding of new sects. Now, we know kind of what the problem with this period is, is that there was no authority on the earth at this time. And as I was reading about the Second Great great Awakening, I was struck by the timing of it all. Think about being a Christian before the restoration of the gospel. There was so much more to be had. And I bet that these people, their spirits could feel it, that there was more. And yet, unfortunately, it wasn't there yet. But think about how this movement primed people to be able to accept the gospel, to be able to accept that the New Testament church, Jesus Christ's actual church, is back again on the earth. But along with all this religious zeal came some weird stuff too. And along with people who I think were just faking, there was also the devil who will take full advantage of everything he can. And whether that means that he inspires people to fake spiritual experiences, or we also know that the devil can perform cheap imitations of spiritual gifts. So some of these people might not have even consciously been lying, but we know that the spirits of the devil, the children of Heavenly Father that followed Satan, are down here and that they are real. And that Satan actually has physical power. So he can perform those cheap imitations of spiritual gifts and manifestations. So is it surprising that some weird stuff came along with it? I don't think so. There is an article on LDS.org called Religious Enthusiasm Among Early Ohio Converts by Matthew McBride. And he said this about the meetings at some of these churches and revivals. Quote, Others elicited passionate responses from their audiences, including prophesying, 
crying, shouting, dancing, shaking, and rolling on the ground. Some groups, such as the United Society of Believers in the Second Coming of Jesus Christ, otherwise known as the Shakers, even made some of these practices a formal part of their worship. By 1830, the surge in religious excitement began to subside. However, there were still many who believed these manifestations were authentic expressions of the Spirit. The Mormon missionaries' message that spiritual gifts had returned to the church thus appealed to many of those they taught in Ohio. So, after the missionaries left Ohio, leaving all these fresh converts to do their best, left without copies of Revelations from the Lord and very few copies of the Book of Mormon, who do you think wants to take full advantage of leading the the early church into some weird places? Yep, you guessed it, of course. That would be Satan. And this gets tricky because we do believe in manifestations of the Spirit, like gifts of tongues and visions. And Matthew McBride continues to describe some of the things that were occurring in these early meetings in Ohio. He says, Young elders engaged in all manner of doings during worship services. Burr Briggs would jump up from the floor, strike his head against a joist, swing some minutes, then he would fall like he was dead. He would then rise and relate visions he had while unconscious. Edson Fuller would fall and turn black in the face and then he would behave like a baboon. So that's that's some weird stuff. And I think for skeptics of the church, it's easy to read these things and write the early converts off as a little off their rocker. But for me, I like to remember, one, this was a completely different time and culture, and they had just come out of the, the Second Great Awakening where lots of those things were being embraced. And then two, I think for many, believing these manifestations came from a very real place of faith in things that they couldn't understand. And I think that there's some credit to be had there is that they believed that the Lord had power to actually make these things happen, even though they weren't coming from the Spirit. And three, some of those to whom manifestations happened were deceived and controlled by the very real power of the devil. McBride continues, Shortly after his own arrival in Kirkland, Kirtland, not Kirkland. I'm thinking of the Costco brand. Okay, I'm going to start that over. Shortly after his own arrival in Kirtland in February, Joseph Smith set about to check these displays of enthusiasm. He wrote to his brother Hiram, then in Colesville, New York, on March 3rd, reporting, I have been engaged in regulating the churches here as the disciples are numerous and the devil has made many attempts to overthrow them. But there were important questions that remained to be answered. If the Book of Mormon promised the presence of spiritual gifts in the church, what was wrong with these practices? Had not Joseph himself been blessed with miraculous manifestations of the Spirit? And what of the Book of Mormon stories of Alma and Lamoni who fell, apparently unconscious, while the Spirit spoke to them? Just how was one to distinguish the gifts of God from human inventions or the influence of evil? So this is what prompted Joseph to inquire of the Lord, and section 46 was his answer. In section 46, he reminds the leadership to be led by the Spirit in conducting the meetings. It confirms, he confirms that spiritual gifts and miraculous manifestations are indeed a very real thing. And in verse 8, it says, Wherefore beware, lest ye be deceived, and that ye may not be deceived. Seek ye earnestly the best gifts, always remembering for what they are given. And the Lord also promises that elders of the church will be given the discernment necessary to know if a manifestation does not come from the Lord. So this is what I want to talk about. Seek ye earnestly the best gifts, 
always remembering for what they are given. In this section, tons of gifts are listed. It says in verse 11, For all have not every gift given unto them, for there are many gifts, and to every man is given a gift by the Spirit of God. And to some is given one, and to some is given another, that all may be profited thereby. So we learn a few things there. One being that everyone doesn't have every gift. We learn that everyone has gifts of the Spirit. Isn't it so cool that part of the Lord's plan is to have a perfect complement of gifts so that we can accomplish what he needs us to do? And I love that he lists so many gifts. And these aren't just obvious talents like being an amazing singer or speaker. It's things like this in verse 13. To some it is given by the Holy Ghost to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was crucified for the sins of the world. So testimony. Testimony is a spiritual gift. And to others it is given to believe on their words that they might also have eternal life if they continue faithful. So believing in the words of others is a spiritual gift. And again, verily I say unto you, to some is given by the Spirit of God the word of wisdom. To another is given the word of knowledge, that all may be taught to be wise and have knowledge. And again, to some it is given to have faith to be healed. And to others it is given to have faith to heal. And again, to some is given the workings of miracles. And to others it is given to prophesy. And to others the discerning of spirits. And again, it is given to some to speak with tongues, and to another is given the interpretation of tongues. And all these gifts come from God for the benefit of the children of God. When you think of the gifts of the Spirit in that way, where it's not just the gifts of visions and speaking in tongues, it's also smaller things like testimony and wisdom and knowledge and faith. What kind of gifts do you have? And I feel like I say this every few episodes. Don't tell me that you don't have them. It says, fact, in here, in scripture, every man is given gifts. Marvin J. Ashton said, One of the great tragedies of life, it seems to me, is when a person classifies himself as someone who has no talents or gifts. When, in disgust or discouragement, we allow ourselves to reach depressive levels of despair because of our demeaning self-appraisal. It is a sad day for us and a sad day in the eyes of God. For us to conclude that we have no gifts when we judge ourselves by stature, intelligence, grade point average, wealth, power, position, or external appearance is not only unfair, but unreasonable. So when I say, don't tell me you don't have any gifts, I say that with full knowledge that all of you have gifts. And as Elder Ashton says in that quote, It is not only unfair to classify yourself in that way, but unreasonable. So I started thinking about my friends and family and what gifts they have that I can see. And I could go on. I was having a really hard time even knowing who to start with because I could go through every single person I know and tell you some gifts that they have. But first I thought of my mom and one of her gifts is she has the gift of gratitude She is naturally grateful and in awe of all things around her. I'm going to read you something she wrote. She says, When I'm in a situation and deliberately have to choose a happy place to go to in my mind, I go to Devil's Canyon in Wyoming. 
Years ago, while my husband fished the stream at the bottom of the canyon, I sat on the bank in dappled sunshine and watched as a long, single blade of grass dangled on the surface of the rippling current, gently bouncing up and down over and over and over again, a playful dance of grass and water. I remember deliberately imprinting that image in my mind so I could think about it when I needed to. It works. I have so many beautiful gratitude-filled things that she has written, and I'll share one more because she just writes so beautifully and I love them. So she shared a picture on social media of a small bouquet of roses, and all of them were pink except for one large deep red rose in the center against a backdrop of snow in her front yard. She said, I knew the snow was coming, so a few days ago, to preserve the last wisp of summer, I cut every flower in my yard. Over the week, the bouquet has dwindled to these last few roses. The dark red one is from a climbing rose called Blaze, which frankly has not done much blazing. In fact, this is the only blossom it produced this year. I had no idea it was even there and and did not discover it until I pulled off a tangle of spent toppled zinnias and viola, and there it was, underneath them all. Why do things like beauty, blessings, meaning, and clarity sometimes have to be such sneaky things, hiding out like lovely bandits until the debris has been cleared and the dust has settled? Doesn't that seem a bit rude? And yet, I think I have enjoyed this single, perfect rose for its rarity as much as if there had been a dozen. Isn't that a beautiful gift? To notice little things like that, and to think and ponder and think of these things, and what they can mean and how they can apply to your life? And as you can also tell, she has a gift for writing. Another gift that benefits me greatly is a gift my husband has. He has the gift of listening and peacemaking. He is known by everyone as the peacemaker in his family. He is always the mediator in any family drama situation. He's always willing to listen to all sides of any situation and try to put himself in their shoes. And sometimes, I'm not going to lie, it has been annoying because, you know, when you're venting and you're just upset about something and he, all he wants to do is just make sure that you're thinking about how they might be feeling. And (laughs) unrighteously, that has rubbed me the wrong way sometimes. He is always willing to put aside his own feelings and opinions about any situation and just listen. And then, if it's wanted, he helps them figure out what to do. And he is so much better at this than me. And because of that, I credit a lot of the success of our marriage to him. He is usually the first to apologize and acknowledge any fault, even the times when I am more in the wrong. He has taught me a lot. And this is a wonderful spiritual gift that he has been given and I have benefited greatly from. And it always reminds me of what the Savior tells us to do, to turn the other cheek. His humility and his lack of pride is a blessing to me and to everyone who knows him. So the purpose of me telling you about these people in my life is to demonstrate to you that gifts of the Spirit are found everywhere. They are small and they are large, they are visible, and they are maybe sometimes seemingly invisible. I imagine that if we had Jesus right here in front of us, that he could go on for a very long time, listing out all of the gifts of the Spirit given to all those who have ever lived on the earth. For my last personal example, I want to touch on a gift that was actually talked about in these verses. In verse 13, it says, To some 
It is given by the Holy Ghost to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he was crucified for the sins of the world. And to others, it is given to believe on their words that they might also have eternal life if they continue faithful. My mother-in-law has perhaps the purest testimony of anyone I know. She has certainly been given the gift to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he was crucified for the sins of the world. And when you talk to her, you cannot doubt that she knows. And one of the reasons that I know is because she knows. And there are many others, including her children, that have been given the great gift of being able to believe in her unshakable testimony. So again, I want to ask you, what are your gifts? And what are the gifts that you want that you may not have yet? We know from section 46 that gifts can be something that you are born with and something that you can acquire through faith because it says, seek ye earnestly the best gifts, always remembering for what they are given. What gifts would help you in your life? Seek them. And how should we seek them? It says here, earnestly. And the definition of earnestly is with sincere and intense conviction. Can we, with sincere and intense conviction, seek the best gifts that will help us accomplish his purposes here on the earth? Seek them for the right reasons, believing that the Lord will bless you with whatever gift will help you achieve the righteous desires of your heart. A gift that I have asked for recently, like in the last year, is the gift of not passing judgment. And I have truly felt the Lord changing my heart. And it's something I'm still working on. I'm certainly not perfect at it yet, but I have felt a very real change. For instance, just one of the small things that I've noticed. When I see something share things online about a a nice thing they did or a perceived moral good thing that they did, I used to sometimes think thoughts like, do you really need to share this online so the world can see? What are your real motives? And I think that that's a valid question we can ask ourselves when we're sharing things with other people. Do we need to share these things? Is it beneficial? And it might be. I was just talking to my husband about this last night. And sometimes I think that I hesitate to share things that I do that that are good because I don't want people to think those thoughts about me. And oftentimes I do choose not to share things that I do. But I also think that sometimes we should be sharing those good things that we do and the good things that come out of it. And if people think negative thoughts about you because you have shared it in public, but your intent is pure and your motive is good, then it doesn't really matter what they think. They're welcome and they're only hurting themselves, they're welcome to think whatever they would like. So for me, when I see people do these things now where they share them out in public, the Spirit helps me think something a little different. And I just assume that their motives are pure. Because does it benefit anyone or improve anything for me to assume anything different? No. All it does is hurt my spirit and makes me see the world in a more cynical way. And it prevents me from being uplifted by what they're sharing. Because regardless of what their motives are, if I choose to be uplifted by a good thing, that's what I'll get out of it. So continuing on, what if you just don't know what gifts to ask for or how to even identify gifts that you already have? 
Marvin J. Ashton lists out a bunch. He says, the gift of asking, the gift of listening, the gift of hearing and using a still small voice, the gift of being able to weep, the gift of avoiding contention, the gift of being agreeable, the gift of avoiding vain repetition, the gift of seeking that which is righteous, the gift of not passing judgment, the gift of looking to God for guidance, the gift of being a disciple, the gift of caring for others, the gift of being able to ponder, the gift of offering prayer, the gift of bearing a mighty testimony, and the gift of receiving the Holy Ghost. I mean, listen to how beautiful those are. The gift of seeking that which is righteous, the gift of being able to weep, all of them are beautiful and not necessarily ones that are very apparent or that I would even think of. I want to end with a quote from Tad R. Callister. He says, Because of Christ's atonement, we are eligible to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and its accompanying spiritual gifts. If these gifts are attributes of godliness, therefore each time we acquire a gift of the Spirit, we become more like God. No doubt that is why the scriptures enjoin us on multiple occasions to seek these gifts. President George Q. Cannon taught, No man ought to say, Oh, I cannot help this, it is my nature. He is not justified in it, for the reason that God has promised to give gifts that will eradicate our weaknesses. If any of us are imperfect, it is our duty to pray for the gift that will make us perfect. In summary, the Savior's atonement gives us life for death, beauty for ashes, healing for hurt, and perfection for weakness. It is heaven's antidote to the obstacles and struggles of the world. I mean, he just gave us the perfect answer there. If we don't know what gifts we need to ask for, think about your weaknesses and ask for the gift that will eradicate that weakness. The New Testament Church of Christ experienced gifts of the Spirit that were miraculous to be seen and small and simple. The early church of the Restoration experienced gifts of the Spirit, both miraculous and small and simple. And today, our present-day Church of Jesus Christ are experiencing incredible gifts of the Spirit, both miraculous to be seen and small and simple. And I know if we have eyes to see, we will see, as President Nelson has told us, our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, will perform some of his mightiest works between now and when he comes again. We will see miraculous indications that God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, preside over this church in majesty and glory. Gifts of the Spirit, both small and miraculous, are real. And I think that one thing that these early pioneers had that our culture perhaps now lacks is faith in things that we cannot explain. Do you believe that miraculous gifts of the Spirit are real? Not just in theory, not just in the scriptures, not just back in pioneer times, but do you believe that those miraculous things can happen now and will happen in your life, in front of your very eyes? Do you have the faith like these early Ohio pioneers that will allow you to believe in those miraculous spiritual gifts? I know that gifts of the Spirit are real. I know this is true. And they are yet again another witness from heaven that the plan is perfect. 
beauty for ashes, perfection for weakness. Seek good gifts and always remember the purpose for which they are given. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gifts we are given are given through the enabling power of the sacrifice of his Son. Believe in him. Believe in his encouragement to seek the best gifts, and you will come out of this life moving into everlasting life, eternal life, which is a life full and rich and full of eternal purpose in the presence of the Father and His Son. You will become more and more like Him as you embrace those gifts with full purpose of heart, remembering the purpose for which they were given, to aid in the great gathering of Israel and the gathering of your own soul to Him, who is our great and merciful, loving Redeemer. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.